Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is J.C. Estrada, CBS morning anchor from Austin, Texas. We'll talk about his career in television, plus countdown 2020's top stories. Thank you for following the Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Although the internet has changed our lives and influenced our decision-making in the last three decades, there is still one industry that lords over the World Wide Web, television news. More Americans get their news from television, followed by newspaper and radio. Online news trails behind the big three, according to the latest Gallup survey. One key ingredient for television news to remain successful is hiring on-air talent who can relate and connect with viewers. In Austin, audiences are waking up to local CBS morning show host, John Carlos Estrada. JC comes on the podcast today to talk about his passion for getting to the truth and helping people, which led him to a career in journalism. We'll also discuss the top stories of 2020. I want to welcome to the show one of the best things that happened to me in 2020, my new friend, J.C. Estrada, reporter for CBS Austin in the great state of Texas. Thank you for coming on the show to discuss your news career and reviewing the top stories of 2020. Well, thank you for the Zoom invite. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we get to talk about a lot of issues that I want to talk about the newsroom and our top stories of 2020, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I am the local morning news anchor here in Austin for CBS Austin KI. Uh, but it took a long journey to get here. Um, I and my parents are both from Mexico. Uh, they came over, my mom came over when she was little, and then my dad came over when he was a little older. But I'm first generation Mexican American, uh, went to college, first one. Uh, and then for some reason, I just got the bug to be a journalist. And so here I am. It took a while to get to where I am. but. I look back and I'm like, you know what? I did the work. You know, it's, it's good to feel like you did the work and now you're reaping the benefits of some of that hard work that you put in. Um, but yeah, that, I'm from Dallas. I'm a Texan. I married a Texan. Um, I knew in the, my heart that I would eventually come back to Texas. I spent some time away. Yeah, you um, went to I, Washington, D.C. and New York for school. Uh, yeah. You, learning more about you, I learned that you were once considering a degree in law. What made you switch to media? Yeah, so um, I always wanted to be sort of an immigration lawyer. And that's why my actual major in college at GW, George Washington, was international affairs. Um, and I just, the, the reason I switched is because I took an internship at the Today Show in 2008. Wow. And I mean, even getting that internship was such yes. a big deal in my life. I mean, it was just, and all it took was a handshake. I um, was president of the, one of the, this organization that would invite alumni to come back and talk to us about their careers. And so I met the TV producer of the Today Show who was a GW alum. And I remember telling her, hey, I would love to intern for Anderson Cooper in New York City. Can you get me into <laughs> like, well, um, I can't get you into Anders and Cooper, but maybe the Today Show. And I'm like, okay. I'll do. <laughs> so I was, I was the last one of like, I mean, the Today Show has tons of interns. And so I was the last one of like 20. And, you know, even in those 20, you have to stick out when you're an intern. And so you have to volunteer, you have to wake up early, you have to put the grind in. And so I did, and I was able to observe everything. And after a couple of weeks, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do law. I want to do journalism. I want to do something in this field. And, and, and you work with some of the, the big heavyweights, the, their stars, yeah. correct? Yeah. So when I was in New York City and Washington, D.C., I started off just behind the scenes. I yeah. was a producer. I was initially like an assistant. So I was getting coffee. I mean, I, like I said, I put the work in. I, yeah, I, you I, did. You paid your dues answering phones. Eventually, I worked my way up to assistant producer and then a producer news writer. So I was writing for Lester Holt, uh, Jenna Wolf, uh, a bunch of these big people that I look back now and I'm like, that was pretty cool to be in my early 20s and to to be writing news uh, for those top, top heavyweights in New York City and Washington, D.C. 
Um, but all of that, the good thing is all of that work behind the scenes pays off. Cause like you ask me to write something, I can pretty much write it really fast and I'm pretty efficient with my time. So it so, was like graduate school for you being in that, navigating that space and learning the tricks of the trade from some of the greats. It is. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned in your email to me about this conversation was diversity in the newsroom. And that's one thing I noticed immediately. And just like going to school at GW and going to Columbia for grad school, there's just a small number of brown people. And so yeah. we all know growing up as a minority, you have to put in twice the work, you have to put in triple the work to get noticed. And so that's something that was embedded in my parents. You know, the hard work gets you where you're going to get. And you don't have to necessarily be flashy because at the end of the day, people are going to notice the work at the end of the day. And so, um, I just noticed that in those newsrooms that I would be at, there wouldn't be a lot of people that necessarily looked like me. Or if there were, I would be really close to them and ask them like advice, like how did you get to where you are and, and all that. So I-, I Built that, that network. Exactly. I mean, network is key. I mean, that's what the one thing that GW really taught me is like knowing other people to get you a foot in the door is essential in this world. And it's not, you know, I have a stepson. He just graduated from UT and so, I struggle with advising him because he feels like it's a handout. And I'm like, no, like it's not a handout. It's, when being, people... a, it's being ambitious and knowing yeah. that you belong there. Cause we go through a lot of imposter syndrome saying we're not supposed to be in this space right. when we have the skills and talent that we've studied for and work for to be in that space. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've given it back too. I mean, I've over time, over my career, I've been able to, lift people up and so if you take from someone the the they don't say this to you but the idea in your mind is like i will help someone in the future you pay it uh, forward yeah pay it forward and so um yeah i just i said funny because i just had a conversation with him when he graduated in may from ut and so it's just like you're like no it's not a handout especially if you put the work in is they're just letting you in the door and so the rest is up to you you touched on the subject a bit, so I want to follow up on newsroom diversity. A recent study found that newsroom employees are more likely to be white and male than the U.S. workforce overall. More than three quarters, 77% actually, of newsroom employees, those who work as reporters, editors, photographers, videographers in the newspaper broadcasting and internet publishing industries are non-Hispanic whites according to the Atlanta uh, analysis that took place from 2012 to 2016 by the American Community Survey data. The bright spot is that there are signs, though, that the tide is turning. Younger newsroom employees like yourself, JC, show greater racial, ethnic, and gender diversity than their older colleagues, according to a Pew Research Center analysis of that U.S. Census Bureau data. So how are you helping people get into the pipeline? Yeah, um, I look at one example. So when I was in East Texas and anchor there, I was lucky enough to get hired to be an adjunct professor at Stephen F. Austin University, which is part of the UT. That's awesome, yeah. You know, Because I have my master's degree, so I'm able to teach uh, just as an adjunct. And so while I was anchoring, I was also teaching. And over the course of three semesters, I was able to really, really help about three students get into the business. One of them, her name is Connie Consuelo. And um, I was able to get her to Florida after I left East Texas. And she's uh, a bright Latina and she wants to eventually go to Houston. And I just, that's one example that I know I can point to and say, look, here's one person who didn't have an in and I was able to kind of let her in the door and then just be like, hey, y'all notice her because she's doing big things. And so, She's now an executive producer in Florida, you know, and she's 20, she's 25, 26. I'm like, that's awesome. Um, so that's what I've done with just one person. But uh, like we talked uh, when I, you were a guest on our podcast, Way Sabes Que, is that um, be just even being on TV here in Austin, just being a reflection of like a big portion of the population here in Austin, to be brown, to be Estrada is my last name, to have an, even Giancarlos, you know, I hope that people get inspired. I hope young people get inspired. Whenever I get a chance to speak in front of students, I take the invitation, even though maybe I'm tired, because I'm like, you know, you never know who you're going to inspire. Um, so and I want to and I want to personally thank you because I had just formally met you. I got on your podcast, had a great time on 
way, sabes que? And then I jumped at the chance to invite you to come speak to my group of kids that I mentor. And within days, you're on that Zoom call sharing your experience. And I greatly appreciate it because it's like you say, you want to see yourself represented in this um, type of occupations that seem, un, you know, unreachable for some. So it's just, it, it's, I just want to say thank you so much for making yourself, uh, making yourself available to all these populations. Yeah. Um, and that goes for anyone. I mean, if, even if you work at like a Target or whatever, I think just being in front of young, inspiring young minds, I think just lets them know like, hey, I could do that. Oh, I love doing that. So whatever you do, what, if you can ever get yourself in front of a, a young group of students, I mean, I think I definitely recommend it. It's really cool. And just even the feedback is awesome. Yeah. So you, of all, I've met a lot of people in the media, but I've yet to meet a morning anchor. <laughs> and I think it has to be the toughest job. I'm not a morning person by any means. I have to wake up. Uh, I have to live near where I work. That's been my rule because it's just like I don't want to have a long commute because I am going to be like struggling in the morning. So I need to get as soon as possible to work knowing that I have a short commute. A morning anchor has to be up early in the morning because you have crazy hours. Tell us about your daily ritual Monday yep. through Friday. What's so we, we talked about this uh, a couple days ago, and I remember your mouth was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's usually the reaction to a lot of people. Um, so in the news business, you don't really have regular hours. You're either up really early or you're up really late because of the way that the newscasts work. There's a lucky few that can um, be in the middle, like the afternoon shows, but like usually that's just untouchable. But so for the longest time I had had those evening um, hours, I was up until like midnight. Um, but when I moved to Austin and took the anchor job here, that was the first time I've ever had the shift. So I was nervous too, cause Jesse, just like you, I'm a night owl and that's always how I've been in college, everything. Um, so I was a little nervous taking this job. I remember talking to my husband, Bruce and saying, I'm really nervous. I feel like I'm going to sleep in like most of the time. Luckily <laughs> that hasn't happened. Um, but yeah, so my alarm is set at two 30 in the morning. Um, I wake up shower. Uh, I'm very lucky because I'm a guy. So I can just pull, you know, do my hair really fast. Yeah. Pull my suit on. So I get to the station around three 15. Uh, the moment 315. I walk in, oh 3 my God. in the morning. Yeah. The moment I walk in, I'm immediately logged in. I'm reading over the newscast. There's producers who are there at 11, midnight, and they're starting to put things in the newscast. It's a two and a half hour newscast, so it's a lot of news to try to pack in. And a lot of it has to be new. What's the latest update? We want to tell people how to get their day started with the latest information. So 3.15, I walk in. I'm reading the newscast. I'm making edits to the newscast. I'm also working on my social media pages, you know, scheduling things to go up throughout the newscast uh 4 a.m rolls around so a 45 minute chunk of my time i do a lot i'm like going through the newscast reading uh, editing and then at four o'clock i put my makeup on which is usually a, a base and then a little contouring and then a little bit of powder <laughs> and the reason i do that is because the cameras are in hd so hd you sure is not your friend oh my god yeah and so i <laughs> I've also, you know, I've now living here in Austin, I've been doing facials every month too, because it's like yeah. you have to take care of yourself. A little bit of, a, of it is vanity, but at the same time, it's like you're you're on the TV. You have to just that people expect that from you. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, four thirty rolls around. Um, we start the newscast. We say good morning, and seven it goes to seven a.m. And after that, that's when the New York the Today Show, CBS, of morning, when the morning shows, shows kick on at seven. But we pop up every 30 minutes and give you quick headlines, like here's what's happening in Austin. And then, so my day officially ends at nine. And then um, between the hours of seven to like nine or 10, when I'm at the office, I'm usually working on the story for the week. Um, so just, I'm constantly writing, reading. I mean, those are essential things that were taught in elementary school that I still do to this day. And it's interesting because it's such a, been such a big journey for me because I, Spanish was my first language growing up. And I'm reminded of it because I'm currently in the process of digitizing my dad's cassette tapes. And so going back to see those memories of my sister and I speaking Spanish when we were little um, is, is awesome. You know, I, I speak yeah. Spanish now with my dad and 
my grandparents, but um, going back and listening to myself do, you know, speak Spanish has been really a gift that my dad was able to record. But I struggled, you know, when I went into all English classes in first grade, it was a big struggle for me. And I was in remedial reading and writing. So for me to have a career, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, delivering that is in English. Yeah. English has been such a big journey for me because I used to be the shyest kid ever. And I did not want to read in, in public because it was just embarrassing because I couldn't get the words right. Um, and so that, I always look back on that, you know, when I really sit back and think like, wow, I wonder what no, little I, John would have thought, you know, JC no, would have thought. I got two things that I connect with what you just said right now. I was always a shy kid too. I hated being that kid in the, in, um, when it was, I was in front of a classroom, I would just, I had problems with public speaking. I was okay with among my friends, social circle, I'd be the class clown. But once I was put in the spotlight to deliver, I just ha did not have public speaking. It wasn't until when I was in my 30s and I became politically active that I finally decided I'm not going to be sitting in the back. I need to start voicing my opinion and start speaking in front of crowds to try to like deliver the message that we need to organize and vote out these creeps that keep coming after us. It, had, it came from a good place of it's time for you to start speaking up. And then to the second thing that I want to say is when I had a radio show, I'm not a morning person, but they gave me the 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. slot on this public radio show in Dallas. And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? I'm not going to, I'm going to be late. I can already see myself being late or not waking up on time. I was never late mm -hmm. because you know what? It's in your heart. If you love what you do and you, and it's like you crave it, you're going to make yourself get there on time and prepare and be ready to go for that day. And I think that's what you're, you're going through right now where you love your job, yes. but you make it a priority in your life. Yeah, that, that's definitely it. I mean, I also think about my parents. Both of them were, are blue collar workers. My dad still works at a factory overnight. My mom passed away 10 years ago, but she worked at a factory too that made cowboy hats. And so, I mean, they, they're never late. I mean, they're just, that's the work ethic that they have and it passed on to me. Uh, and so I think of that, I'm like, you know what, I'm lucky enough to, I mean, what I do is basically sit on my ass and I read a prompter. <laughs> read words on the screen. I'm like, if I can, if my parents can do what they do, and then I can definitely do what I do. You know, I, yeah. I use my hands, my dad always is like, Michael, I don't want you to use your hands in whatever career you choose. And I mean, that's certainly the case. I mean, I'm using my hands to put on makeup, but I'm sure it's <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever. But you're going to be the best at it. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so. Let's uh, fast forward to your current career and 2020. Oh my God. How has TV work changed during the pandemic? So let me tell you the morning show, and I can t attest to this when I was at the Today Show, is all about chemistry. You know, you want to make sure that the people that you have on your morning newscast get along and give that impression to people that are waking up. They want to wake up to something nice, bubbly people, bubbly personalities. I've been very fortunate to work with three amazing women um, here at uh, CBS Austin. My co-anchor, Allison, um, the weather person, uh, Nicole, and then our traffic anchor, Sophia. They're both just wonderful people. And so what really changed with the pandemic is that we all got separated and, because they wanted us to be really safe. And so Allison and I used to sit right next to each other. We used to like breathe the same air. Obviously, yeah. that's not what we want with COVID. So now we're separated. You know, we always just sit at the desk when we wanted to talk about certain things and that's not happening anymore. So having that first few months of like, obviously trying to report what's happening to the public, but also trying to figure out how do we keep that chemistry because we're no longer in the same area where we can have that fun, bubbly personality. We're now in separate boxes. Um, yeah. So that was a big, that, that for me was a challenge because I'm like, I've never experienced anything like this. Uh, but luckily- having to work with each other's cues of when I'm going to stop talking so you can start right. talking. That's so hard because there's always overlap. Yeah, it's true. And I just joined the team. So like we were just starting to get this, the hang of everything. And so then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we all have to separate. Uh, we're still in the studio, but that was a big challenge for me that I didn't see. Uh, but just even going out to report things. I mean, every week I have to report a segment and um, zoom 
you know, having to learn Zoom and having to teach others how to do Zoom too <laughs> has been a big challenge. Uh, but uh, it's been good. I mean, uh, the thing about big, big events like this, like a hurricane or a pandemic, is that you realize that the public really needs your help. The public really wants to get the information and they want the facts and they want, you know, um, especially in the morning, they want to know like good things that are happening, not just the bad things that are happening. So um, that's been a big thing, getting comments from people in my Facebook page and my inbox of saying like, thank you for just being there and reporting on this or just being a happy bubbly person that we need in the morning. Um, that's when the true colors of the audience come through because usually it's a lot of negative stuff. But during a pandemic and during a hurricane, like I reported in Florida, you really get to hear people and they really understand that you're there for them. So that's been good too. So since you're in the news business, we're going to talk about the top stories of 2020. So you're in review and uh, we're going to talk at length at the top five, but we're going to go through quickly the top uh, six through 10. Um, the passing of civil rights icon, John Lewis. God mm -hmm. bless him. He got into good trouble for us to make sure that we have access to the voting booth. And I can only think that people were honoring his memory this past election by, you know, progressives turned Georgia blue. And right now they have an uh, upcoming uh, election to decide two, not one, but two Senate seats. And it's almost like his spirit is with all those Georgians going to go vote. Um, I'm just, I'm just, it was a really sad, here in DC when he passed away, there was just so many tributes to him. So I'm just so happy that people are getting into good trouble mm -hmm. to honor him. Another one, uh, our top nine would be the murder of army soldier Vanessa Guillen at Fort Hood, who was horribly mur murdered, she gone missing, no one was paying attention. This Latino family with immigrant parents were frustrated because no one was searching for their daughter. I know this was a big story in Texas because Fort, yeah. Fort Hood is in Texas. We're just an hour, about an hour and a half, two hours away from it. And I remember when this started getting traction, there were family members contacting me and our, and our team about her. And we're like, the moment I got that email, I forwarded it to our assignments editor and that's like the next day that everyone started kind of really talking about Vanessa. And I mean, just even this week, I mean, the firing of those 15 military. The um, report finally came out. They, um, they issued a. Her, her a, death a, is not in vain. I mean, it's something exactly. happened. Mm -hmm. A law is looking to be passed that's going to protect, make it easier for, for when they report their harassment or anything that goes on. It does. It could go to a third party. It doesn't have to go through their chain of command, which usually quashes it before it ever sees the light of day. So her death was not in vain. I feel so, so bad for the family because of the tragic way she was taken from us. But what's so sad is that there's so many deaths, so many deaths on army ba on bases across the United States that are just like, oh my God, are they really safe? You know, this is not them going to a foreign land. Right. On a big, no, this is the United States of America, where we're supposed to, you know, cherish our soldiers, our law enforcement, but somehow they're ending up uh, being killed. It's just I was always, whenever we aired this story, I was always struck by the number of deaths that happened at Fort Hood. And I'm like, there's obviously, and I think the viewer understands, there is a problem here. And so I'm looking forward that, you know, we, we continue to put a spotlight on this, especially on like big holidays with veterans that we celebrate Veterans Day and really focus on those issues that are really affecting them. So moving yeah. forward in 2021, I hope that this is still a big issue and yeah. uh, we need to correct all the wrongs there. And then there were so many, I mean, this was happening in the height of the Black Lives Matter protests, but we still managed to have also a, a, a march here in Washington, D.C. for Vanessa that I participated in, in the Columbia Heights section of, of DC. And it was a beautiful march to honor her memory. And yeah, another d death that made uh, the top 10 stories of 2020 was the death of Kobe Bryant. Um, that helicopter went down and it took his life and his 13 year old daughter, Gianna, as long as, as well as uh, eight other people on, I mean, seven other people on board. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a really tragic, which was, Already sad because he was such a giant 
you know, in the sports world. But what added to the tragedy is that people were taking photography of yeah. the of the crash site. You forget about this because this happened back in January before the pandemic. It mm -hmm. seems like years ago, but it was earlier this year. Isn't uh, it? It's like it feels like such a long time. But this was like the major story before the pandemic hit. Yeah, right after the holidays it happened. And the thing about Kobe is everyone obviously knows his his athletic prowess, but he's also very philanthropic. Like he loved to give back to the community. And so I'm hoping that his family continues with that. His wife, Vanessa, yeah. continues to give back to the community and, and pays tribute to him that way and the daughter yeah, as well. Yeah, in his memory, yeah. The another, another story that seems almost so far away is the Australian fires. Do you remember? I was crying when they pulled that poor koala bear. Yes. Or koala. I, I don't know if it's a bear. It's a marsupial. Uh, they, out of the, uh, yeah, they pulled it out of the fire. It was like half of its body was on fire. It ended up dying like days later. It's estimated that 5,000 koala, koalas died because of that event. Nearly, and they estimate overall 3 billion animals were either killed or displaced because fires, like there was 15,000 fires out in every Australian state that, that period. Because when we're in our winter, they're in their summer. So this is why this was happening in January, December, January timeframe. So that's kind of like the sad story that led off the new year of 2020. It's almost like a, this is how bad it was going to start getting for us, you know. But I just remember it, it just, it, it almost, it would never stop. It would just kept on growing and growing. Mm -hmm. uh, and now for a good news story. We have number six. Back in Pride Month on June 15th, the Supreme Court ruled that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which makes it illegal for employers to discriminate because of a person's sex, now also covers sexual orientation. That decision now protects LGBTQ workers who cannot be fired for being gay or transgender in a blockbuster win for the community. So We've come such a long way, yeah. I mean, gay people. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, you know, vague memories of the AIDS epidemic. And so, um, but it's just, we've made light years, you know, ahead. I mean, we advanced yeah. in, in this rights. And it's interesting because people ask me, how do you separate like your life versus like what you're reporting and there's some days that i can't like for example yeah. this day that was a big one um marriage equality back in what 2015 15. yeah uh, i mean that was another day where i was like i was happy i'm sorry but i'm gonna report the news after <laughs> me and i was in east texas of all places very red very conservative um and it's just there's just some days that you can't separate yourself from what's happening and so those are special days that I'll always remember. There's, there's always been red letter days that I've been mm -hmm. in DC, like the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, marriage equality. Uh, DACA decisions have gone our way. I've rushed to the Supreme Court to rally. That's the one plus that I love about the city is that you get to be in the center of the action. And this year, I wasn't able to do that for this decision because we had the pandemic going and it was the early part of the pandemic where we were all so scared that we just stayed in our apartments, you know? We stayed in our housing because it was just, you just didn't want to rally, you know? Uh, yeah. Especially people that were a little bit older that might have pre-existing conditions. You just didn't want to put yourself in harm's way because of the pandemic. But this is the one thing where I wish I would have been out there rallying. It was such a, a good day. It was such a good day because we didn't see this coming. We felt like we waited. We would have to wait, or we're just hoping and praying. You know, we John Roberts, Chief Justice, really surprised us on this. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into the top five, and this is a story that started this time last year that spilled over to, to 20, 2020, uh, the impeachment of Donald Trump. So this started on December eighteenth. It had uh, in the December time frame of last year where the house brought it up and they passed the impeachment charges but come february the senate would eventually acquit him how did it flow over there in texas did you get to I mean, cover it yeah go ahead yeah i mean we we um usually when it's big national stories like that we let the new york bureau cover it um and you know what i can't even think that far back it's just crazy that like the pandemic has really like put a big block on my memory it does. I had to go. I had to go back when I was gonna talk about this. I'm like, 
so why did he get it impeached on again? I thought right. it was, I mean it was something to do with the elections, but it was like, oh yeah, he like withheld aid from Ukraine you the Ukraine and canceled right. access to the White House from this, you know, partner that we have in the world unless they brought up dirt on Joe Biden. It's like Donald Trump knew Joe Biden was gonna be the the winner of the Democratic nomination, and he wanted to right. take him out. So it was the, just... thing, the thing about the Trump administration, especially covering him every day, I mean, the general public has the luxury of like, I'll tune in a little bit and see what's happening. I have to live it, breathe it every day. And the thing about the Donald Trump administration in the last four years is that like, just when you thought one story would be like the story that would maybe like catch on and people would be like, what is happening? It'd be like, there's another one and like oh, another yeah. one. He, he runs by, he rules by chaos. Yeah. He throws everything at you that you're like, okay, what do I concentrate on? There's been times where I just don't, I'm sorry to say this, I don't watch morning television because I don't want my blood pressure to go up. So I've started to watch all these old shows on these rerun networks yeah. just to lower my blood pressure. You know, I'm just right. like, you know what? I can't watch the news. I can't start my day with something that's going to get me pissed off. <laughs> but oh my god i can't wait for, uh january 20th yes now the next uh story number four is the passing of supreme court justice ginsburg right. um she died from complications of pancreatic cancer on september 18th and she had lived a good life to the age of 87 um, she was an associate judge uh, of the supreme court since 1993 um talk about someone who's not only was like a very popular figure in our U.S. government, um, but her death was very consequential because it, it was five days later, they had already nominated someone else that was going to tip a very right-leaning um, court even farther with Amy Coney Barrett being um, nominated and placed on the Supreme Court within days. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that we actually were on a uh, you were on a podcast yes. yeah and you found out i remember you were doing your very first podcast yes. and you had just heard that's right so uh we were recording our first episode of waste have a skin dallas with julio my best friend and so we just had casually had the tv on and so we were in the middle of recording and then all of a sudden I look over and i'm like oh here we go breaking news you know we and you're right. I mean, the moment, I think most people who know anything about politics knew that like her death would then do, be a domino effect exactly. to what we have now. And so, um, but talk about someone that, yeah, was beloved. I mean, she was um, on SNL, you know, they parried her a lot on SNL. And I was very lucky and fortunate enough to have a professor from Columbia who did the RPG documentary on her. And I was about to say, they knew she was going to retire. If Hillary would have won, she was going to retire. And they had so many movies and documentaries that came out about her life to celebrate her life. I'm glad they did that while she was alive. She could see how people really appreciated all the work she did because she, she was, she was a trailblazer. A lot of people think all her good stuff happened while she was on the court, but she did a lot, especially for women's right as a young lawyer. And it's just amazing. Was it, the credit card was one of them the credit card thing where like you didn't have yeah, to be attached to your husband women, yeah women could not get credit cards unless they had like they were married to someone and they got permission from their husbands which is not i mean this is like yeah. not that long ago it's, I mean, not that like, it's, not, it's in my lifetime i was mm-hmm. born in the 70s uh, another thing is that when she first tried this was years before she even considered the supreme court she tried to clerk for one of the justices and he said no because she was a woman and this was back in 1960. So you could just imagine, like, it's just like 50 years later, she's like this giant yeah. in uh, American history when it comes to the Supreme Court. And, and she started having a husband that supported her too. I mean, right? I mean, he passed away years, ago, years ago. But, yeah. But I mean, he was all about making sure that she shined. And I think, you know, the thing about their relationship is I think she took a back see at the very beginning and then she was able to get it's just i love that story too of, now the of husband was amazing because he actually was fighting testicular cancer or something mm-hmm. when they were young a young couple and she was going to school and he says no you keep going to school you keep doing your thing don't leave 
on because of what's going on with me. You keep on doing what you're doing for our family. So yeah, he must have been an he was an amazing person to allow her to do her thing. Yeah. Both of them were amazing. Yeah. Now the next one, top three, uh, the Black Lives Matter protest. I mean, this is something that was already like had us on edge this year. I mean, with the deaths at the police. Uh, the hand of the police. We go, we go as early as March 13th when we lost Breonna Taylor, but it culminated into a big, big you know, like powder keg when George Floyd was killed on May 25th, and then the following day, people started just marching everywhere. Um, I got to march. Um, this was during the middle of the pandemic. I was so scared because we're getting together, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to like. I was just scared that it would be a mass spreading event. But luckily the people that were marching had majority of them had masks. It was, it was controlled. Um, and sadly, there was people that were from outside those groups that were kind of infiltrating the marches and starting some um, um, rioting. Um, they arrested some of those people that ended up being people that were not even affiliated with the march for starting some of the, the looting and the, and the, and the fires. But, this the, it it's credited as being one of the most how do you call it moments in history when people got together. They suggest like around fifteen million to twenty six million people in the United States have participated in demonstrations this past summer. Uh, it peaked in June sixth. Uh, the re, uh, statistics say that a half a million people turned out in, in five hundred and fifty places. You know, yeah. little towns, big towns across the United States. That was on um, June 6th was a single day uh, where a lot of folks just turned out in mass. And I remember in D.C. seeing the marches. It was just not the young folks. We had families and we had families with strollers going down the street because this is something that touched so many people across the board, not just black people, brown people, Asian people, but people all over. How was how did you? See it the, in yeah, three things. I mean, the ripple effect of those that movement has still is still reverberating here. Um, here in Austin, uh, city council, which is very liberal, uh, they wanted to def they want to defund. They defunded or moved funds around to the Austin Police Department. So I feel like if that the movement wouldn't have been as strong, you wouldn't have had this action. And I feel like you're seeing this a lot in those big cities, and a lot of it ties back to obviously George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, people took action. And so you're starting to see that action take place now. And obviously Republicans here in Texas don't like that. And so there's this constant battle between the two. But I mean, the fact that that movement was able to motivate city councils and other leaders around the country to really think about how we police around uh, the community, I think has been remarkable. Um, the other thing too, the person, the young woman who recorded the George Floyd uh, incident, you know, she's been getting a lot of um, uh, recognition for what she did. I mean, that moment captured on a phone had this huge impact. I feel like if you didn't have that, we wouldn't have had this huge, huge exactly. of, of emotions. Uh, and so I know at Columbia, my alma mater, we, I think, are either have already recognized her or want to recognize her for what she did and recording that, that incident because it's just such an impact and I, I'm sure what were your feelings when you first watched it I mean you just you feel I mean you just it's, you can't it, it, imagine it, what's happening what I want to say about the Black Lives Matter Lives Matter movement and the protests I want to thank them for being inclusive because they the the we tend in the media to focus on the men that have been affected but they up uplifted women who were also gunned down by police Mm -hmm. And they included people that were part of the LGBTQ community. Um, the one march that I was able to attend was for Tony McDade. Uh, he was a black transgender man killed in Tallahassee, Florida, just two days after George. His story was not as big as George because everybody was already in the, you know, uh, preparing for the marches and stuff. But when he was gunned down, um, the local queer black community decided to rally for his death as well. Mm -hmm. And it was great to see those two marches taking place side by side 
and eventually becoming one big march. I went to DuPont Circle. We had a memorial for um, Tony there. And a lot of people, a lot of people showed up. We had one person that was bad-mouthing the group, but, and it was a white man, of course. But what I loved it is the white gay people took it upon themselves to take care of that situation. The black queer was like, okay, you go take care of your cousin over there. It's, you know, we don't have, it's, it's not up to us to start being that person that fixes you. You had to learn how to fix yourself and your community. It was a great message that stayed with, it's up to us to take ownership of the racism within, racism within the anti-black racism within our own communities and start addressing it. It's not the black person's job to teach yeah. you. It's your job to fix yourself and your community. That was a very powerful message that day. Uh, the next story that was big, the number two story is the election of President Biden and Vice President Harris. Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody uh, mispronounces her name, but we're going it, to, it's pronounced Madam Bi Vice President. That's the way I like to pronounce it. Madam Vice President. MVP. MVP. Exactly. It was such a big, big story. Not only that the fact that there's a woman at the top of the ticket that got elected was the way they got elected. For years, you had to have captured Florida and Ohio to win, but they expanded the map. They flipped over states, um, Georgia, Arizona, and they recaptured the, the, what they call the Rust Belt of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin to get them to the White House. And in another year where we didn't have the pandemic and this crazy administration lighting fires everywhere, I think Kamala Harris would have been person of the year by herself because the fact that she's a woman and a person of color that ascended to that position you know but there's just so much news stories out there that i feel like this is an accomplishment that is not being given enough you know recognition yeah. but that night that i kind of feel like cheated because you kind of want to like the night of the election have your winner and celebrate but we didn't get that how was it trying to covered the election results of this election for you? Our news director wanted us to be very careful in the way that we addressed, you know, what happened um, and constantly updating our viewers of like, here's where we stand now. But it's funny because it's like when the news actually finally broke was a Saturday morning. I, we were, I was at <laughs> down fire with my husband and I, I looked down. And that's how most people found out. I mean, we we're all busy, but the rush to the Austin Capitol here of supporters, and even those that don't necessarily agree with what happened, the election results, I mean, that was immediate, just like in DC, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, it was- Oh my God, they were, having, they were having marches every day because they knew it was coming. It was like, he kept winning almost every other day because right. a, a state would flip or the, he finally got to reach above 270. It was just so several moments where people were saying, he's won again, he's won again. But when it was officially called for him Saturday, yeah. I had already pre-partied Friday really hard because <laughs> I knew he had it. And I wanted to hear that Friday night speech of him. So I, I ended up uh, getting together with some friends outside, socially distanced with our mask. But we're at a bar at JR's and we <laughs> were drinking. I woke up with the largest hangover, <laughs> the biggest hangover Saturday and I couldn't party with my friends because I was too hungover. But everybody was running to the White House. I wanted that moment. It was stolen for me. Well, it was because of my, uh, me being uh, hungover. But yeah. uh, everybody in D.C. was honking their horns right. so loud that we're just like, <sighs> it's not a good place to be in D.C. that day. It was not a good place to be, you know, if you're hungover in downtown D.C. because those honk the honking on the horns, the people were yelling. People were having so much fun out there. Yeah, and you know, the thing about this election is very stark differences between the way that they were campaigning. You know, Biden and Kamala were very careful with what they were doing. A lot of it was Zoom. But then, of course, you had the images of what Trump was doing. And so as, a, as someone that needs to deliver the news with just no opinion, 
you just simply had to just show what was happening. And I think exactly. people could really make the decision on their own of what they wanted to have the next four years. And so, but the amount of people that voted for the other person, I was just like, whoa. I mean, it just, it blows your mind. Um, well, yeah, it surpassed both candidates, both parties surpassed, surpassed the last elections of 69 million. Uh, Trump got 74 million and um, Biden got, Biden's been running for president for almost two decades. He, he, this was his third uh, shot at it. He got 81 million votes. Yeah. That is amazing. That is amazing. 81 million. He's already broken that mark. And it's just like, he's been, it's just been crazy ever since because it's just sort of like the going back and forth with the not handing over the government <laughs> to the next uh, administration and finally doing it signing the paperwork and well tomorrow the electoral college is meeting so as soon as that happens it's done. that's yeah it's done there's no so, turning back there's no turning back and we're already having all these latinos that i'm getting in touch with because they want to become political appointees um for the past couple of weeks i've been having zoom conversations with all these young latinos who want to come work in the biden administration i used to be an obama obama appointee so i'm sharing my experience of applying what they look at and it's a lot because you gotta yeah. get screen background um uh investigations and stuff to work for a presidential administration but it's all worth it because you get to be part of history have you oh. read obama's new book i'm currently in the middle of it uh promise no that. i'm gonna get it for christmas it's on my christmas wish list and <laughs> lupita my mom already just got my list so she's gonna probably have a copy for me. I hope she buys the right book. I hope she doesn't buy the Audacity of Hope. <laughs> Not his first book, but uh, his yeah. second one. Did you, are I you already in the middle of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the audio book and I just, uh, having him read, I just love reading, uh, hearing things from people who, like Obama, I just read the Mariah Carey memoir. I'm, I read the, or I listened to the Matthew McConaughey memoir too. I just love, and just Obama's voice is so nice. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I need to maybe switch over to the audio version because that sounds more interesting. Mm -hmm. And now we're up to our number one story of 2020. Um, <laughs> the dogs are going crazy. Uh, COVID. Unfortunately, yeah. COVID, COVID, COVID. As of today, we've seen 16.8 million cases contracted in the United States and around 300,000 deaths. Since December 1st, we've seen daily death counts of over 2,000. Worldwide, we have 71 million cases contracted and 2.6 million people have died because of the virus. Vaccines begin this week with a consensus among government health officials that the first responders, medical professionals, and elderly in the assisted living centers will be the first to receive the vaccine. So when it comes down to receiving the vaccine, when it gets to us, will you be taking it, JC? Yes, I will. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a husband that's a doctor, and so he knows his stuff. And so if he says something, like, do something medically, I'm like, okay, sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for mine. I'm mm -hmm. ready for mine. I'm, I'm, a lot of people are saying they're not going to take it because this, this process doesn't look like it was well tested, but... The one thing that when I, what I heard that really made me feel safe about taking it was that the uh, vaccine is based on years of study for other vaccines that they've done in the past. So in other words, they didn't have to start from like scratch. Right. They already had a process for prior vaccines and that's the route that they, you know, they, they use that data to help them develop this new one. And I just feel very confident that this is going to be something that is going to be safe for the majority of folks. I think the thing that people too, that is that we're obviously hinging our hopes on the vaccine, but it's not over when the calendar turns to 2021. It's not over when you get that first injection of your vaccine, which is probably going to be in the summer. You know, I think we just have to keep doing what we're doing. And I know that we're fed up. I know that we're fatigued. I know that you don't want to wear a mask when you go grocery shopping or you know, wash your hands and use hand sanitizer, but it's like, we it just, it's not over yet. I mean, we're, we're maybe in the middle of the tunnel and you can kind of see a little bit of light, but like, we're not there yet. And I, so my big worry is that 
it's just it's gonna still be chaotic the first 2021 but the good thing is that we have good leadership leading us this time that i think is gonna make a world of difference um dr fauci i mean god bless that man i'm so happy i hope i get to meet him he is just like a superhero here and background on hiv2 i mean just amazing work i mean if you don't know much about him go back there's a 60 minutes interview with him before the pandemic about his work with hiv and aids and it's just been amazing i mean this guy has dedicated himself to what's happening now and it's just kind of unfortunate that the current administration didn't fully use him to his full potential but we're hoping now that with the next administration they're able to really listen to him and and um, make sure that he is fully heard in its capacity. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> I hope it happens. Um, I want to thank you so much. We're already almost at an hour. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I usually have shorter uh, shows, but you are so, I'm just, I'm just very honored to be your friend. Thanks for all the work that you do to provide the news and to inspire others to follow in your path. Um, for people who are listening and want to learn yes. more uh, about JC, he has a really fun, fun podcast that he does with our good friend, uh, Julio um, Acevedo. A very fun podcast. Tell us where they could learn about this podcast. So you can, uh, it's called Way Sabes Que, which means in English, like, hey, dude, what's up? And it's on Spotify, uh, Apple, where you get your podcast, iHeartRadio. Um, and also, if you just want to know more about me and the French Bulldogs that I have in the background <laughs> here, uh, you can follow me at, at uh, Mr. Underscore JCE on Instagram. You'll see a lot of photos of my family, including my Frenchies and my husband. And then um, you can also find me on Facebook, John Carlos Estrada, CBS Austin. You'll be able to find me on Facebook. But thank I you was, so much. I was honored to be a guest on JC's show last week. And we talked about Selena, the series. Yes, and we, oh share, we shared a lot of great content about uh, a lot of great background stories about our experiences growing up as major Selena fans. So please check out Way Sabes Que. And thank you, JC Estrada, for coming on the show. Thank you, Jesse.